You're listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast series that syndicates for the A-List online. My name's Andrew Mackay-Smith, and the interview subject you'll be hearing from rather soon is Mikey Arthur from the Melbourne outfit The Gloom in the Corner. The reason for the conversation is to promote their May 30, 2019 due-to-be-released EP, Flesh and Bones. I really enjoyed this conversation. This is a good one. Let's get straight into it. Here we go. G'day, g'day. Hey, mate, get it sorted. Yeah, yeah. Sorry about that. I just, uh, it's all good. Just, yeah, computer was just updating and stuff. <laughs> I I know the feeling. Are you using an Apple or a Mac or a uh, Windows machine? Yeah, yeah, old HP. Yeah, they do that, don't? That's one of the reasons I switched across to Apple. Apple, yeah. Ap- Apple does have its advantages, but it has a whole heap of disadvantages. I want to say as well. Which oh are- yeah, I used I used to run a MacBook for for school, and it was just a nightmare once I left. Well, I'll tell you something. One of the disadvantage of using a Mac has actually led to an advantage for you guys, and I'll explain. So, mm. I got your album from Chris Murray about I don't know how long ago was it? A, couple, a month ago or so, a while ago. And you, you tend to get I, get I get a lot of albums a week. Let me tell you. And I got your one, and of course I didn't pay attention to it initially. But I downloaded it, believe me. But I put it on and had it in the background, and because I wasn't paying attention, nothing really sort of jumped out. But then I had my hard my external hard drive fail. And I do a lot of swimming. Oh. I do a lot of swimming. Now, I use. I actually listen to music when I swim because I use Finnis headphones. So they, they're ones that sit on your jawbone and you can listen to music when you're swimming. Oh, yeah. Now, at the time, the only album I had in there was your one. Okay? <laughs> so consequently, I've done just, I don't know, tens of kilometers of, of swimming. And I've been listening to you and music, and it's just, it's fucking unbelievable what I've been listening to. And I'm not sick of it yet. And I don't know how many times I've listened to it, but I definitely would say, outside of you guys, I'm the person that's listened to it the most. I have to be, because I'm listening oh, to it yeah, twice. Yeah, probably. A day. <laughs> <laughs> if you're racking up all those kilometers while swimming, yep, yeah, probably. <laughs> I'm, I'm listening to it twice a day sometimes, up to twice a day. And there's just so much variety in this music with what you guys have done. And the only, only, um, uh, negative, if you like, as I lose some of the detail because the water's splishing and splashing around me. But the melodies, I love everything that you guys have done and so far as the spoken word interludes that occasionally come through. Um, it's easily the best metalcore backslash deathcore album since Look At Yourself by Amur, easily in my book. Oh, damn. Um, well, thank oh, thank you for real. Like, that's a that's a huge compliment to us because we love Amur. Like, me and my guitarist and my bassist, we all absolutely froth that album when it came out. Hmm. So... For something like that to be said, we, we truly appreciate it. Look, I've had a chat to Frankie too. I had a chat to him about just before Look at Yourself, from the, for the promotion cycle of Look at Yourself. Mm-hmm. Now, a bit like you guys, I'd only sort of had it for about, uh, you know, three weeks or so. So, And it competes with all the other music I get. So, it, But eventually I started tuning into what Josh Travis is doing and I was like, holy shit. And I've re- I wrote this at the time when I did the review. Thank God I held off on doing the review until I really got to know the album. But I thought Look At Yourself was the first time I'd heard a guitarist put in a performance that was as good as what Dime did on Pantera's stuff all those years ago. Now, I'm old enough to have been there for the first time when Pantera, you know, when they when they broke large in Australia, I'm talking about like 1991, 1992, because I'm in my 40s. Oh, yep, yep. So I remember what it was like to hear them for the first time, and it was probably the first time since then that I felt really inspired by, by a guitarist and by music. And I get the same feeling from you guys, it must be said as well. 
And well, I, it's it's oh sorry, no, continue. Oh, it's 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 rare for me, mate, to be honest with you, to want to reach out to an artist and ask if I want to interview because I've I've had some punishes over the years doing that, and I thought no, I don't want to do that anymore. But I was so inspired with by what you guys are doing here on Flesh and Bones, I, I couldn't resist, man. Well, thank you. Um, it's funny though about that uh, Amura record though, because I'm uh like just a small time producer by day, and I do a lot of the demoing and all that. But um, I did a sound production course. And all that shit. And um, one of the things that you can do is a thing called Nail the Mix. Um, and they take in artists every month and they'll analyze a song and they'll get the people who mixed and mastered it um, to go through the song about how they mixed it and all that stuff. And I was watching Jeff Dunn and uh, I can't remember Drew's last name. But, yeah, um, uh, Drew Fork, those, I that think duo, it is. Drew Fork, yeah, yeah. that's it. Because yeah. those two did Flesh and Bones as well. But I was what, And that's what inspired us to go with them. They went through and talked about how Josh did the tracking for the record. And apparently what happened was they did the record. They did all the guitars for the record over that two or three week period. And they came back and they said, no, we're not happy with it. We want to retract the guitars. And Josh smashed out all the guitars um, without editing. So all the guitars that you hear on that record are unedited, like without being um, stretched out and mapped to a grid or anything. Um and so everything that you hear on that record performed by Josh is completely raw and he smashed it all out in like four or five days or something like that. Oh, shit, yeah. Yeah, the I, dude's an absolute machine. But I I didn't realize, man, that you guys work with Drew Falk on this, man. That's huge. I've been talking... Oh, we, we worked with um we worked with Jeff. So Jeff did the mixing and mastering side of things. Okay, right, gotcha. But it's yeah. still the same. Is that what you're saying? It's the same. I'm not that... Yeah, I'm not at OFO with the detail there. Are they, are they working for the same production team? Are they the same company? Yeah, so Jeff does... Sorry, Jeff does a lot more of the mixing and mastering side of things, whereas Drew does more so the engineering. So okay. um, a lot of them will sit in together... Um, when it comes to big productions such as that Amur record or um, the Kane Hill record and the Plot and New record that they did together. Hmm. Um, but then for like smaller stuff, um, sometimes Jeff will work on just mixes by himself and Drew will hmm. take on production just by himself. Um, so I think Jeff did, uh, I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure he did the latest Crystal Lake album by okay. himself. That was just him. He just did the mixing and mastering for that. Right. Um, and he just did the mixing and mastering for us. I can't, he's done a few other artists as well off the top of my head, hmm. um, but I can't remember who. Hmm. Man, it's uh, it all makes sense now. I'm so glad we're having this chat because I, I thought the album, it was, man, it's a world-class, well, the EP, sorry, Flesh and Bones, it's world-class, man. I mean, if this doesn't move the needle for you guys across the, uh, the, the Pacific there, the North Pacific there in the US, man, I don't know what will. Okay. Oh, well, and, well, that's what we're hoping to aim for. <laughs> well, well, look, I'll tell you something. This is really important, okay, because I know um, Des Fafara, champion of a human being, you know, the coal chamber and devil, cha devil uh, driver guy. He's, oh, yep, yep, yep. he's in Australia soon, man. I really implore you guys to try to meet up with him somehow. You know that because he's, you know, he manages Cradle of Filth and a bunch of other bands at the moment. Ah, oh, yep, yep, yep. He's, I mean, he's a good guy, man. I mean, I think you guys need that cosign, though. But you've got it. You've actually got the product. A lot of bands don't, man. Look, honestly, I get so much shit sent to me, and I'm asked by mates of mine who look after the bands or have something to do with the band, what do you think? What do you think? And I say, look, I've got to be honest, man. It's not there. But yours is. 
You're you're the best band that I've heard. You're, you're, every year, I don't know what it is about bloody Melbourne. Every year there is a world class heavy metal band to come out of Melbourne, and it's you guys. It's your turn this year. But, oh, thank you. But it's, we hope it is. <laughs> well, it, it's there, man. Yeah, it really is. Believe me, I've I listen to so much music, man, and 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 honestly, the cons- the consistency is there with most music, but it doesn't have the X factor. A lot of it, you guys have got it, and it's not that. You know, on a cursory listen, I thought, oh, yeah, I can hear the early corn there. I can hear the slipknot. I can hear a bit of black metal and stuff. But the more I listen to it, all these layers reveal themselves. And that's that's not got anything to do with the production, by the way. That's the songwriting. You know, that's the songwriting. And, and, and because I've been listening to it when I'm swimming, as I've mentioned, man, I, I don't know the song. I mean, I can easily bring up iTunes now and tell you the song cuts. But I, don't, I can't align the song cuts to the uh, songs that I've been listening to, if that makes sense. I can't name... Yeah, that's okay. can't name yeah. check the songs I've been listening to. I've just been listening to the EP as a unit. Oh, and, yep, yep. And, and so it's just it's just on repeat for me. And in, and then when I want to mix it up, I just put it on random. So it's not in the order that you guys laid it, laid it onto, the, uh, onto the EP for iTunes. But... Man, it's it's all there, brother. I just I really want you guys to do something with this, okay? And I think it's important that somebody who um, gets a lot of music gives you that feedback because I think you guys can do it. I think if you know you you, you see if, you, if you're putting music together like this, man, you've clearly guys you guys have got your head screwed on the right way. You can't produce music like this and not have your shit together. So, man, just man, seriously, you've got to. However old you are, man, don't get married yet. Don't get a mortgage yet. Don't get a car loan yet if you haven't. Oh, no, no, I'm way too, I'm way, I'm way too young for that. We're all like 21, 22. The eldest is our bassist, who's like 24 in October or September or something like yeah, that. Yeah. Well, man, this is man. As I say, I can't give you guys <laughs> enough praise for what you guys have done here. I mean, well, it's. I thought you guys were a lot older actually because of because of the the maturity of the sound. We get told you've... that quite a bit actually. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I like your image too, man. I really think you got your image down pat too. It actually suits what you're doing with the music, you know, with the. You know the devil, evil clown makeup, and all the rest of it. it it's it, it all comes together as a very neat package. You've got the music, you've got the socials organised. I've had a good look at your socials. The videos are good too, man. By the way, that you've got there, and I like the way you've just put the fifteen or so seconds on on Facebook. You know, oh, yeah. yeah, I like the way you've done that. So as a people who sort of you know stumble across your page, can sort of get to know you guys. Something I've, I'm a, I'm a mature student at uni these days, and I'm studying social media, um, and uh, Facebook's uh, the, the 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 top content, so the content that was engaged with the most, all of it was video last year, two thousand eighteen. Yeah, yeah, that's what that's where we screwed up with um, the last release. Kind of, um, we realised that a lot of stuff that we've been putting out was a lot of photo stuff and a lot of tech stuff. Mm. Um, and I said that you know, like we we really need to like we need to hone in on video stuff. Like even someone messaged us when um, our last single villain dropped. And was like, oh, you guys need to put this up on Facebook, like the whole video up on Facebook and not just like the 15-second snippet or just the YouTube link because people see a link and they kind of get scared or they get deterred from wanting to click on the link because it's like, oh, man, it's just another page that I have to follow. Um, So that's what we've kind of tried to hone in on this time. And Chris has helped quite a bit with that, with marketing strategies and all that. Okay. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, look, tell me, who who writes the songs? Is that you, mate, or do you sort of do it as a collective? Um, I write like probably like a bulk of the songs. Um, Matt, our guitarist, will come in and rewrite like little bits, just little riffs that he thinks makes a little bit more sense to him or something along those lines. And 90% of the time, they're, they're awesome. Um, I think in this record, he came through and 
as I said, it's just like it's just tiny little bits and stuff that gets tracked um, will come out differently because I'm not the one tracking the guitars on the record. He is, um, despite the fact that I write like all of it um, and whatever I don't write is just rewritten stuff that I've already written um, that he fiddles around with. Hmm. Um, so like everything gets kind of changed in that process. Something will change from how I um, write something or track something in a demo to how it actually comes out in the final product. And it's not just me that's changing that. It's Matt when he tracks it. Yep. Um, so, I mean, I, I like to say that we all have like generated an input um, into this release. The only exception um, I think is our bassist, Paul. Because he came in way, way, way after the EP was tracked. Oh right, okay, um, yep. Yeah, but even so, like he he pointed out, he points out little stuff in the new stuff that we write. Because um, I think we wrote this record like a year ago, um, mm. on the dot. And um, yeah, I think we we all like to have an input, but when it actually comes to sitting down and sitting down and writing stuff, I do mm. the good bulk of it. I can tell. I can tell because yeah. it's got a theme through everything that only from a you, – you can write songs, dude. You really know what you're doing here. So do you write them on – I know it sounds ridiculous, but I can't tell you how many songwriters I've spoken to where they say no matter what the music is, they start this way. But do you start with an acoustic guitar or an electric guitar in the room and you're just sort of hashing it out that way with, um, you know, whatever the whatever application drum machine you're using? Is that how it works? Are you getting, Well, or, I mean, I'm a, as I said, I, I've done my recording stuff um, my recording, uh, what's the term degree and all that. So like, I know what I'm doing when it comes to demoing and recording and all that. So okay, yeah. a lot of the time when I come forward with a demo, like it's all much already pretty like thought out and I do it pretty much block by block. Good. So I'll do like, yeah. um, the guitar part and then I'll think like, Ooh, I can do drums here like this and all I can do bass here like this and the synth can do this and the vocal kind of comes last. Sometimes I like, I'll get the idea for a song off a vocal line that I've written and how I want it delivered, um, which was some of the case for this uh, for this record, like our track Bleed You Out. Um, that opening came from how I wanted the vocals to start. I said, oh, okay, I want the vocals to be the first thing that gets heard on that song, um, and I feel like it generates more of an impact mm-hmm. that way. Um, but when it comes to writing, like I generally do it kind of block by block, uh, instead of just being like, oh, I'm going to press record and whatever comes out for the next three minutes, I can work around that. I think it, that, it, not to be like rude or ignorant, but I feel like that way of doing things is pretty archaic. Um, mm-hmm. Just because like we have the technology now to be able to do like everything block by block and think out everything before we go into um, the next section, which I think is what kind of... Uh, makes our music a little bit different is that like everything is very thoroughly thought out um absolutely yeah and that's how we wanted to do it instead of just going like here's an entire song that i wrote in like three minutes and here's like a little drum pattern to it and you know bands can do that and it works some of some of the like biggest bands in the world like still do that um but you know, it's just not the way that we no. write stuff. It, it that's not engaging though. I've got to tell you, especially for a mature listener like me who've been listening to heavy metal and hard rock and rock music for a long time. And since my first album that I bought was a cassette of Poisons Open Up and Say Ah, that's how long I've been listening to heavy metal for. Nineteen eighty eight. Okay. Yeah, shit. <laughs> you know, so I've I've been there. I've done it. I've seen the transition from thrash into grunge in terms of the popularity of music. I've seen Iron Maiden go through their transitions when they had Blaze Bailey and Judas Priest with Ripper Owens. I've seen 
seen the emergence of deathcore. I remember when death metal was the number one, you know, when Cannibal Corpse and Morbid Angel were up the top in yep. like 1992 and 1993, man. And I think the way that you've just described the songwriting process, so I think that's the only way you can do things in 2019 because, to your point, the technology is there, but you've just got to be smart enough and be driven enough, if you like, to learn how to apply yourself to these resources. Yeah, exactly. You know, and and I yeah. think and I think a lot of like I've got nothing against these so-called retro bands that are playing music like as if it's coming out of San Francisco Bay Area in 1985 or something. More power to you if you want to do that, but it's not for me. I can tell you that because I, I listened to I wore out my copy of Master of Puppets in 1993 or something. You know what yeah, I mean? Well, like, yeah, exactly. Like, on... Yeah, like there's only so much you can really do, but when time catches up, can't I feel like time catches up with you at a time and. Every band, even though they start out with that whole like, oh, we're going to sit down and write a song together process, um, they might start off with that. But by the time that, you know, like we're, like we're on our third release now, by the time that kind of comes around, you kind of need someone to just be like, okay, I'm going to write the skeletons for the songs um, and like I'll do it like I'll do it in my own method. Like Devil Wears Prada when they wrote 818 were like that. Okay, yeah, um, yeah. Like Chris came to them with all the skeletons for the songs um, Right. And then they rewrote little bits in the studio and all that. Um, but yeah, again, like I feel like time catches up with you kind of thing when it comes to um, writing and recording in that way. And right. I feel like most of the day, most of the bands who do that don't do it anymore. Like there's just like there's just not enough time for everybody to sit down with each other and just write nail out like a song. Like we're all working pretty much full time. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you have you know, to. Like, yeah, I know, yeah. I know one of us saying, is yeah. working. One of us works in sales, so like, which is. Oh, I'm sorry. You got. You're from Queensland, right? Sale is yeah. like, um, like if Brisbane to uh, fuck. sunny coast or Gold Coast is it? Is that for, is no, it? no? I'd say more like um, uh, Toowoomba. Is it? Yeah, maybe. Yeah, maybe Toowoomba. Toowoomba kind of way. Like it's like two or three hours out. Oh Jesus, that's like Dolby. You know, that's yeah. God, that's yeah. pretty far out, dude. That's or Bundy. You know, but or probably Chinchilla, maybe. Um, yeah, yeah, that's, that's yeah, yeah. Wow, okay, that's uh, that sucks. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you got to do what you got to do, right? I mean, look, I mean, yeah, exactly. I, I remember when I was in my early twenties. God, I just was talking about this before I got onto the uh, conversation with yourself. But I, was, I used to work in retail through my early twenties when I was. Um, trying to create originals music i was in like a band that was a bit like franz ferdinand or the strokes called Ve- oh, yeah. called yeah. velveteen it was when i was in sydney actually and i worked in retail and i hated it man my god i hated it not every moment but most of it and it was only when i sort of gave up and i was able to sort of build a career elsewhere i just left telstra after or 13 14 15 years i don't know somewhere in there somewhere um but I, I sort of felt that I wanted to become a careerist, and I know this this is where some of you guys might end up. I hope you don't. I really hope that the music works out. But, yeah, and I've sort of come full circle again is my point. So I'll get to the point. I've, I've come full circle again. Now, I don't want to be a – I still play covers music, right? I play – I used to play most weekends. I don't do it anymore because I just got tired, man. It's hard when you've got kids, man. You'll find this when, when you eventually have kids. It's hard to do anything except for raise kids when you've got kids. Yeah, no, um, I've, I've heard that for sure, definitely. And and you don't, believe me, you don't want to do anything else either. You don't want to burden your children with the with, with the fact that, you know, you're not available on weekends or what have you. 
Um, yeah, exactly. But I, I remember working in retail and having to do those long hours and drive long distances, like what your what your mate there in the band uh, driving from Sale to Melbourne does, uh, having to do things. And the difference now, of course, and you've already made this point, is that you're doing everything and you're sending people the files for them to learn things and putting make, make their contribution on what you've already done. So it really doesn't. I mean, there's how many bands these days don't even live on the same continent? Established bands, that is. There's quite a few. Oh yeah. There's heaps, and for the sure. opportunities are there. You've just got to. You've just got to embrace it like you've done, but not a lot of bands are as intelligent as the way you've approached it, man, either. That's the other thing. You know, you've um, you've done the hard yards in so far as got the technical expertise to make your dream real. Oh, well, thank you. We, we surely like, appreciate the fact that somebody looks upon it in that light. Um, to be honest, like I kind of just sit down and write stuff and whatever comes to my head first is how it goes, but hmm. um, I, I, I truly appreciate that that sort of comment. Thank you. No, it's cool, man. It's 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 all from the heart, and it's all for real. As I say, I don't don't like, I don't do too much of the reaching out to people and say, "Hey, you want to have a chat?" Just t- tend to find it. I just knew I knew you'd be a good conversationalist, and I knew from this music here it would be worthwhile because I really do believe in what you're doing with your music. I just it's it's really just up to you guys, though. I think, and I think that's the, that's the other thing. I mean, I know you don't know me, man, but I just really want to see a great Australian heavy metal band conquer again. You know, oh, thank you. And I think I think you're the band that could potentially do it. And I really do. And I think the sort of music you're doing is broad enough. You know, you can be you can be alongside of the Amures of the world and the Thy Art as Murders, but you've very much got your own identity. Yeah, I think that's what we've kind of prided ourselves on as well, um, being able to give people variation. So if you don't necessarily like one song, then um, there's always another song for you on the EP. And I feel like a lot of bands go down that road as well where it's like i can't remember the last time a band oh actually no yes i can uh ice nine kills last year with their yeah um, i interviewed him screen. yeah I can't remember yeah what's... so did i actually <laughs> <laughs> how did you how did you are you doing some podcasting and stuff as well are you oh no no i just got hit up by um depth magazine and uh kel the writer was like look i don't know the first thing about horror movies like do you know stuff and i'm like yeah i've pretty much like more or less grown up with like nightmare on elm street and friday the 13th <laughs> cool. and stuff like that yeah and um she's like oh would you like to do a write-up and an interview uh with spencer for for depth magazine and i'm like yeah all right yeah cool let's see how this goes and so i got like all the tracks and all that early and i'm going through and um figuring out which song is which but i feel like they're like one of the few bands um, at least in this generation of metalcore from like 2011, 2012-ish to now, um, that have done the genre service by giving people as much stuff as they can to listen to. Like I feel like they're the only band that has given, um, except for maybe Fit for a King with one or two songs, but I feel like um, they're the only band that has given a broad range of music within their genre kind of like what we have they have the softer songs um they have the much 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 heavier songs um whereas a lot of bands nowadays like don't do that like as you said i look at yourself by muir as much as i love that album that like that whole album is like two minute mosh song after two minute mosh song after Mm. two minute mosh song um and they're sticking by that yeah and like that's their sound and everything I, i don't hold it against them in fact i fucking love that album um but you know, like so many bands do that, and to me, like it just gets so stale so quickly when you listen when you put on an album and you can't tell one song from the next, and because they just they all just sound the same because it's all that same yeah. genre of and no differentiation. I don't know if it's like 
with a big band, for example, I don't know if it's the label saying, hey, write 10 stupidly heavy songs with no variation, or if it's the writers themselves being like, yep, cool, I can play zeros really quickly and all that shit. Hmm. Um, but yeah, like, I feel like that's where we've always kind of prided ourselves, for lack of a better term, is the fact that we've been able to put forward to people like a vast array of music, of variation in that genre. Like that almost goes back to um old school metalcore days like when well not old school but um when metalcore went through that really weird phase with like asking alexandria and bless the fall <laughs> and all that shit where like even though those records are good for their time like they still have a variation of songs um on their records and it wasn't just straight heavy hitter after heavy hitter and it made the heavier songs so much heavier on that record and the softer songs so much more powerful Mate, don't ever get anybody else to be a publicist for you. You've got it down pat. You know, because <laughs> the thing the thing about that, you've been very articulate with what you've talked about there and you've you've hit on something which I I don't under for the for the life of me, I cannot understand why bands out there they spend all this money or somebody spends all this all lots of money, tens of thousands of dollars helping them put together an album and it sounds like it's compressed like bloody that Metallica album from two thousand and eight, Death Magnetic. Oh, and, I still love that record, though. <laughs> oh my god, I, I mean, I can't listen to it to be honest with you. And I, as I've alluded, I'm an old fan, but uh, I, I look. I tried to. I, I, I stuck with them through load. I tried, even though I don't like those albums. Even to this day, all these years after, and I've listened to those albums lots. I still can't get into them. <laughs> Never listened to Sananga for obvious reasons, and then Death yeah, Magnetic. <laughs> <laughs> and then Death Magnetic came out, and I thought, you assholes. <laughs> I just yep. was like, I'm done. And I, I actually walked away at that point. I did have an opportunity to review, um, de- uh, what, not, what was the last one called? Sorry. Hardwired for self-destruct. Oh, that's yeah. it. Yeah. I, I, yeah. No, oh, I couldn't. Yeah. Oh, well, like I, was, I was very generous in my, I, I'd listened to it because the nature of bands like Metallica publications wants you to get up reviews very quickly. Yeah, to drive traffic to those sites, right? So I only listened to it sort of three or four times, and I, I suppose I gave it some praise. To be honest, man, where it wasn't you because it's a shitty album. Sorry, um, and and yeah, and, no, I mean, yeah, I mean, that's that's entirely your opinion. Like, I mean, I'm I'm not being not trying to sound dicky about that um, at all, but like you know, everybody has a difference of opinion when it comes to um, everything. Like, I, I actually don't mind Death Magnetic. I re-listened to a couple of the songs the other day and went. Oh yeah, no, this doesn't stand up well against time. <laughs> mm. But like, it was one of those first records that, like, one of the first Metallica records that I got into, um, because like, I had heard of like one through uh, Guitar Hero when I was playing it when I was younger, and then when I looked up Metallica, it was around the same time that Death Magnetic came out. So that was mm. the first time that I'd actually sat yeah. down and properly listened to them. From there, I went back to Master of Puppets um, and then Justice for All. And I much prefer those albums now looking back on them. But, yeah, I think you're right. Like, they just, ha- like, they just have to tune them out, churn them out after a while. Same thing's happening with Slipknot now, in my opinion. Like, yeah, just- I know. You're right. You're spot on. I was going to bring them up, actually. Sorry, you continue, mate. You're right. I was, I was talking to uh, Paul. Actually, yeah, my bassist, Paul, about it the other day. Um and like because me and me and Matt and Paul, like we all grew up with Slipknot. We absolutely love Slipknot. And we were just talking about the fact how like every time there's a new Slipknot album coming out, Corey Taylor says that it's going to be Iowa level heavy. And <laughs> yeah, I know. Hey, You're not wrong. Like, You're spot the biggest, on. The yeah. biggest running joke in metal music since he started saying that. Um, but I feel like every and everybody gets this expectation that it's going to be um, as heavy as Iowa, but realistically, it never will be. And it's because 
the band that wrote Iowa 15 years ago or however long ago it was. It's, 20, is a it's almost 20 years ago now. If you yeah, 20 years yeah. now. Um, you know, is not the same band that's writing their material now. And, like, they've all matured as musicians. They've all got stuff going on in their lives. Um, and even though from their standpoint it may sound like that um, they're on that Iowa level of heavy, but their perspective on what's heavy is completely different to what their perspective on what heavy was back then. Mm. Um, and, like, what they were going through when they were writing Iowa is a completely different experience to what they're going through now when they write and record the, their new records. Um so I feel like that emphasis of like, oh, it's going to sound like Iowa is pretty much completely thrown out of the window because if you like, because I, I had the um, Iowa fifth, was it 10 year anniversary DVD? Right. And they talked yep. about how like they went through and how they like went through hell recording that record. If like, like Corey had like pot plants and all this shit thrown at him by their producer to just make this record sound like absolute living hell. If somebody threw a pot plant at Corey Taylor now, he'd get sued by Roadrunner and yeah. all of Slipknot's yeah. management label. Like that kind of shit just won't happen now, and it's because they've established themselves as an artist. That being said, I feel like it's a, a bit shit that Corey Taylor constantly pushes the belief, "Oh, it's going to be as heavy as Iowa." It's like, man, just accept the fact that you're net, you're not going to be as heavy as you were back then, like. No, no disrespect to you, but you're never going to be as heavy as you were back then because the circumstances are completely different now yeah. to what they were 10, 20 years ago when Iowa was first released. And people don't realize that. They still feed into it and go, oh, yeah, okay, this Slipknot song is going to be as heavy as Iowa. And then they listen to it. It's like, oh, why isn't this as heavy as Iowa? And it's like, what do you expect? They're a completely different band now. Yeah, different rhythm section too. Completely yeah. different. I've, I've, had a, I've only heard a very quick conversation for the podcast series, but I couldn't hear it. Uh, just because the quality of it was too bad, but with Joey Jordison, very oh, shy, very shy guy. Yeah, very shy, very quietly spoken guy. I don't know how yeah, he I've survived. I don't know how he survived in the band, to be honest with you. You know, especially back then when there was a bit more drinking and other stuff, no doubt going on as it as it tends to yep. happen. <laughs> you know, maybe yeah. You know, and then I know he had an illness where he couldn't play drums as well as he might have liked. But he he's a trim. Joey Jordison is one of those drummers where he uh, he it's very. There's a few drummers that can do it. There's Cozy Powell. I don't know whether you've heard of him, but I had a conversation with Graham Bonnet this morning from Rainbow, and he also did some work with Michael Schenker. But Cozy Powell is just probably the greatest drummer in all history for me. I can hear he's, – when you hear him playing, you can tell it's him. It's very hard to do with the drummer. But you can yep. do it also with Joey Jordison. Not so much with the guy that they've got in there now, whoever he is. I'm sure he's a wonderful drummer, the fellow that's uh, – Jay Weinberg, yeah. He's yeah. the son of another famous drummer. The dr he, um, I think his dad drums for one of the Saturday Night Live bands or yeah, a live show that. talk host thing. Spot on, yeah. I think that's where they picked him up, yeah. yeah. Well, I, I – yeah, I haven't probably listened to them enough post Joey to be too firm in this year, but I'll make my point around Joey, which is that when I hear him playing, like when he did the uh, Metallica gig back in, was it Download in 2003 or 2004? Mate, yeah, something like that. Yeah. Have a listen to that on YouTube. Metallica sound fantastic. Now, Joey was given fuck all time to learn those songs, but he probably already knew them anyway. But there's a difference between learning them and then turning up and playing them and actually playing them the way that the band 
of that era play them because that'd be different from when when they were playing in back in the eighties or what have you. The songs I'm talking about, and yeah, and he um, he just he actually Metallica lifted, and I've held a theory for a long time. I do not rate. I've never rated Lars Ulrich as a drummer. I don't um, think anybody does. <laughs> oh, it's it's incredible. It's like he he bought penny stocks in James Hetfield and just watched that stock rise and rise and rise until it's brand or corporate corporation Metallica as it is these days. He's the luckiest man in the music industry, Lars Ulrich. Um, yeah, for sure. He, I think he actually needs to step out and let a, a Chris Adler or a Joey Jordison step in. You know that? He could do that because Metallica, the demand for their music is just increasing, I see, for shows and all the rest of it. But he's just made that last album um, hardwired. It, was, it could have been good because there are some good ideas there, but Lars just can't do technical drumming. Yeah, you know, I, I, just, I don't think he, I don't think he ever was like a technical drummer, like to begin with. Ever really, when he first started learning drums, he was more of a, like a jazz drummer or a rock drummer from memory, if I, if my memory serves me correctly. So like, I'm not like I'm not surprised that he can't hold up because when he did start learning drums, he never really was like, a, a, like a thrash drummer like Metallica was back then. So. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, Dave Lombardo. There's a lot of people to compare. Yeah, Dave to, Lombardo so, for sure. Yeah, Peter, Peter, uh, probably another one of my favourite drummers. And really, I had a really good chat with him. Was Peter Sandoval from Morbid Angel? He's just a tre- ah, yeah. tremendous guy, and also just a wonderful, wonderful drummer. He's another one of those drummers where uh, I know he only's only been in Morbid Angel and Terrorizer, but I, I, I'm sure that if I heard him drumming in another project and I wasn't told it was him, I'd still be able to pick up it was him. I've listened to his drumming a lot, you know. Um, but yeah, no, it's it's uh, it, look, it's drumming and percussion, mate. You know, it's it's one of those things. So do you you obviously give the template to your drummer, and he just does he interpret yeah. what you've done, or do you just tell him exactly <laughs> what what to do? It, it, it's funny though, because like when we did our first record, Fear Me, and I pretty much wrote all of the drums for that. In fact, I pretty much wrote everything on that record. Um, Matt wrote about two riffs um, on that entire record and I wrote everything else. Um, That's because I'd pretty much already gotten it done by that stage and um, Nick was just happy to play whatever. And it was only around, like he'd he'd fiddle with a couple of things, like a little fill like here or there and all that. Um, And he did the same thing on Homecoming here and there. Um, to Nick's credit, I put in a gravity blast in one of our songs as a joke and sent the song to him and I'm like, here, learn this gravity blast. And he's like, yeah, all right, cool. <laughs> and I'm like, no, no, I was only joking. Like you don't have to learn the gravity blast. And he's like, no, fuck you. I'm going to do it now. And he came back like three weeks later. He's like, oh, you watch this and just did this gravity blast. I'm like, all right, You're cool. The man. So I now know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm like, all right, cool. So I know now what to put in all the future recordings. He's like, if you ever do that again, I'll kill you. Um, but like this time around when flesh and bones and villain came around, um, Nick, like I had skeletal drums. I very much made it so that, um, I wrote skeletal drums and me and Nick bounce off each other pretty well when it comes to writing drums. Um, we figured out that we have a very similar, um, mindset when it comes to writing drums because we've both grown up listening to the same music. And so he goes like, Oh, I would put like, I would put that drum fill there. I would put, um, that type of drum beat there. So the only thing that like Nick came back and redid was, like all the fills and how stuff was technically played. Like I put the stock standard fill stuff in and he went through and completely redid it in his own kind of style. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think like, like I'll send him like the demo or I'll send him um, the guitar profile and he'll just go back and completely rewrite it how he wants to do it, um, which has been a breath of fresh air. And I think it's definitely changed up 
how we sound as well. So about 90% of the drums on Flesh and Bones is basically what Nick wanted to rewrite, mm-hmm. um, which I think is pretty cool because that's the first time that we've actually properly sat down and done that. Same thing with the guitars, though. Like Matt went through and properly rewrote stuff how he wanted to go. Um, but, yeah. Cool, man. Yeah, well, look, it's God, it's, it's all there. I mean, for people listening, if you want to – take a punt on a new band, a new heavy metal band, and that's my term, of course. I know that it's a cross between deathcore and metalcore that you guys do, but I just think you guys are a great heavy metal band with solid rhythms, really well-thought-out songwriting structures. You, to your point about having variation and not just having two- or three-minute mosh songs, you've got a lot of variation in there, and I think that's what I've really appreciated about it when I'm swimming is that I can I sort of speed up on the bits where you guys are going a bit faster and then I sort of lay back a little bit and sort of... Uh, you know, do the swimming equivalent of jog um, <laughs> when when some of the slower moments come in. So it's a very dynamic album, man. It's or EP, I should say. So do do you think you have got an album in you in the near future, or are you just yeah, gonna... yeah, um, yeah, for sure. Funnily enough, like when um, I was talking to someone about this the other day, uh, I think yeah, I said I got we had an inter- another interview the other day, and they got asked, are we going to do another album? How this record came about was um, we're done. Fear Me, our first record, and our immediate plan was to do um, another album after that, mm-hmm. which would have been really stupid back then because looking back on that, like we just didn't have the fan base to support it. Um, and so what happened was we got asked to do a two-track, uh, two-track split track with another band, um, and so we wrote the songs Brother and War, mm-hmm. and like after a couple of weeks, um, that like that whole idea fell through with the other band. So, and I had written the opening track on that record by that point. Um, and so we said, Oh fuck it. Look, let's just make it a five track EP. We'll start with one, like a short mosh song at the start and a short mosh song at the end. And we'll put three songs in between that basically fill out the record. Um, so once homecoming was done and that was out, we basically started again going like, okay, let's, let's write the next full length. Mm -hmm. And so we got to, about halfway through 2017, because, um, yeah, well, it's 2019 now. So, yeah, we got halfway through about 2017, probably like o- September, October area, and me and Matt looked at each other and we went, you know what, fuck it, I think we should do another EP, but this time we'll do like a fully fleshed out EP, like make it six or seven tracks, um, full songs, none of this – one minute intro, one minute outro bullshit. We'll do full, like full mm-hmm. seven minute song. Sorry, full uh, song, full seven tracks. Um, and a lot of the songs that came off this record were songs that we were originally going to put into our full length. Now they've been completely rewritten pretty much since yeah. we decided to do that. Um, but like I think it's a solid four or five of these songs came from that full length that we were planning to do so now again now that this time of uh release has come around we're back to writing the full length but this time i think we're actually going to be committed to it um that being said uh we do want to do another full length i think it's definitely what we have to do next now that we've had these two eps yep <laughs> um but you know we're going to take our time doing it i feel like we have time up our sleeves now that um i feel like flesh and bones can carry us for another like year 
year and a bit maybe and that's yeah. a lot of time like especially for me because i have a backlog of like 40 50 songs that i've written um <laughs> good news yeah <laughs> i write a lot i mean a lot of it's pretty much been worthy but i write a lot so like it's never it's never gonna be like oh i've i've, I've run out of songs what what the fuck are we gonna do like i'm always writing so um i think a full length is definitely on the cards for us next mm. um it's just a matter of when we want to sit down and properly do it but yeah do, do you have any physical copy or are you just sticking to digital editions? No, we have physicals of Flesh and Bones. Yeah, um, we got them the other day, actually. Um, yeah, I think I think we've limited them to 50 and I think we've sold almost all of them. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's a good idea. Yeah. Yeah, yeah great I think we did demand. the same thing with Homecoming. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I've still got – I was in Cross Trigger from Brisbane and I've still got a box of CDs in my – one of my wardrobes here, you know, meaning that I think we printed up a couple of hundred. This was almost 10 years ago, actually. I think it was 10 years ago, actually, now. And um, that was more like a new metal band. Um, but, man, we just we couldn't push physical product because we weren't doing enough shows. We only did a couple of shows. See, um, it's funny about that, though, because like, I feel like um, in this day and age from kind of like 2012 onwards, I feel like that the demand for physicals has gone up quite a bit, and it's not because people actually want to put their CD in their car. It's because a lot of people in, like especially in the metal community, are collectors, and so they like to collect, uh, whether it be the special pressings of a CD or the first pressing of a CD, or a limited number of like copies of the CD. Um, you know, so like we have a huge demand for physicals, and that's why we've been able to always been able to push them really well like we, we we don't really sell any physicals at shows we might sell like one or two every time we play a show but yep. when it comes to actually putting them up online they go like wildfire especially in the, in like europe and the u.s because people over there just love collecting stuff and they love being able to like sell it on if they get sick of it afterwards i remember we we printed our first record through Chugcore and they did a limited run of 125 mm-hmm. and someone had number one or two because they, they did 50 um numbered mark, yeah they yeah. did 50 numbered copies and someone had one or two and they flipped it about four months after the album release for a hundred dollars on one of those like market um marketplace Jeez. swap shop places yeah and i'm sitting there like fuck what we could have sold those cds for a hundred dollars <laughs> but then you go uh wait no we can't because we're the actual band doing it so um, but yeah, I think definitely nowadays there's a much bigger demand for CDs than there was back in like 2000s because like 2000s was when digital started coming through and everybody was like, oh yeah, we'll just download everything through LimeWire and put it on like my little MP3 player that I <laughs> bought so came true. That's exactly what was happening, yeah. 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 But now that like all those people have grown up and they're like, oh, we want to actually be able to physically hold something, especially if like a record means something to somebody, they want to be able to physically hold it and um, I feel like that's why, like, CDs, especially even vinyls now, I feel like vinyls, it's just more of, like, a collection thing. I want to collect all the variants, like, they're fucking Macca's toys. But, um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. That's, the only, that's the only thing I can compare it to, nothing against vinyl, but it's, like, that's why people collect them is because they want all the different variations. And then, you know, at some point when they stop collecting, they go, oh, well, look, I have all these variations from all these prints of this album from, like, 10 years ago. I can sell this for a fuckload of money, and that's what happens. Mm. Well, I think, I, yeah, God, you've raised some really good points in there, and the first point you've raised is that heavy metal fans are collectors, absolutely. You know, uh, no other genre, maybe jazz, 
maybe jazz. Oh yeah, jazz. N- no <laughs> other genre inspires the the collection of what a band is all about. And the other thing that I think you alluded to there as well is that heavy metal fans they're very much aware that they need to support their favourite artists, particularly indie artists, because if they don't, that band might stop making music. And what yep. better way to support the artists than by by purchasing physical product? Yeah, exactly. And yeah. and and so that's that's my theory around it. And I think heavy metal fans are very sensitive people a lot of the time, so they want their music to to keep on being available, and they want their favourite bands to keep playing music. And this is there's I've got you know what I've got back into is cassettes, like the brand new ones. So, yep, I definitely back cassettes. Yeah, yeah I, do, I love even the though sound. it's like a, it's just a collecting thing. Like, but I fully get why as well. I, I love the 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 monochrome sound. Or what I don't know, I don't know the technical term is God. I want to try and make it up, but it's there's something that I, I listen to. I'm in the shower. God, I'm sharing a bit here, but I'm listening to a, a Philippine band called Omen Filth. I'm in the shower, and it's a cassette. <laughs> and, and and I've had a conversation with uh, Willie. He's he's over there uh, in a town outside of Manila, and. I'll buy them. I'll buy that, and I bought their new one as well. And and on Monstrosity, I bought the new Monstrosity uh, on cassette. You know, I'm a part of the Split PR's marketing stuff, so I got the the album in digital copy anyway. I was just given it. Um, but I thought, no, I really want Lee Harrison to keep on doing what he's doing. And that was a very that was a conscious decision that I made because I love what yeah, Lee true. Lee Harrison um, does. He's an awesome drummer. If you want to look him up, man, fantastic drummer, death metal original, and. Uh, true, true. Yeah, yeah. So it's man. There's just there's so many there's so many opportunities for fans to support their favorite artists. But the artist, like what you're doing, needs to get involved and get passionate about allowing the fan to support them. You know. And- yeah, exactly. And that's I feel like with like even though you can have, I'm not gonna like I don't want to. Uh, what's the term? Um, I don't want to be insensitive to that. But like. Um, like you have to be selective with what kind of product you put out there. Like I feel like if you're a death metal band or a hardcore band, like it's very easy to put out cassettes because that's their scene and they love collecting that stuff. Whereas um, us in like the metalcore and deathcore and for lack of a better word, gent kind of mm-hmm. area, um, they all love collecting like CDs and vinyls and novelty items. Um, whereas like hardcore, it's like, oh, we love to collect our seven inch vinyls because the runtime of the yeah. album is like four minutes. Um, <laughs> and like, we love collecting tapes and all that shit because that's very much their niche. If we put out a tape of flesh and bones, I feel like nobody would buy it because no, I, th- I think your music we're not would in suffer. that hardcore scene. Yeah. yeah. Your music but would suffer. Yeah. There's no, no and like, reason. And like for f- even, even from my standpoint, like I've openly told fans this and everything, um, like, because I'm part of a metal and core, uh, uh, was it uh, a collector's group? Right. And um, they are like people always ask me, especially when Fear Me first dropped. It's like, oh, when are you guys going to print this to vinyl? When are you guys going to print this to vinyl? And um, first thing I said was like, well, first of all, the album's fifty six minutes long. There's no way we're going to be able to fit that hmm. on one vinyl, and it's going to cost a fuckload of money. The other thing is, is that like because I'm an audio engineering student, I know that when you print stuff to vinyl, it's like everything. Like vinyl is an analog product so everything that you record on digital is going to sound completely different on an analog product and it's because of the way it's recorded when you record when like metallica and um to a lesser extent i guess like pantera but let's say like deep purple um and all those old metal bands who printed stuff to vinyl recorded their albums they recorded everything through analog 
And so everything that gets printed into that big piece of wax that you're currently listening to, like all those little lines is actually the sound file that comes from the analog desk and the analog recording. And so everything sounds very natural and very real and very nice to listen to. Whereas when you record stuff on digital, you're, and after you mix it and master it, what gets printed onto that like piece of wax that, as I said, you're currently listening to is a huge like brick wall. And so the quality of the mix, no matter how good the mix might be, just gets completely deconstructed by the fact that it's been pressed onto vinyl. And it wasn't only like until like a, like a year after I had that conversation with someone that I realized that people just wanted to buy vinyls as a collector's item and not mm. actually listen to them. But for me, from yep. an audio engineering standpoint, I go, I do not like the fact that we're printing digital like a digital album onto a vinyl onto a digital album onto a analog um product because if people do actually want to sit down and listen to it it's going to sound like shit and i'd rather you download it illegally um or something along those lines or stream it off spotify and get a much better sound than what you're going to be hearing on what's on vinyl Mm. so but yeah again it's like a completely novelty thing yeah, good observation, mate. And you bang on. You're actually you you bang on. It was a conclusion that I I'd, <coughs> I'd made particularly about if something was like you listen to Neil Young's Harvest on vinyl, superb, bloody yeah. superb, man. Put it on CD, not so crash hot. Okay, I I just and I know that I think they did some remastering here, but I bought Formulas Fatal to the Flesh by Morbid Angel on vinyl, and I and I stick it on occasionally. Doesn't sound that good. Doesn't sound as good as the digital as the digital equivalent, which is a CD or or, or on the MP3 there. And that's when it sort of the penny dropped actually. And I thought, yep. yeah, it it is about fans wanting to have and to hold. And I suppose I got sucked into a little bit, but I like supporting my favourite bands to your point because I'm a heavy metal fan. Oh, you know, yeah, for sure. Yeah, exactly. But that's a really keen observation you make there, and I don't think a lot of people have sort of joined those dots, but I, I really don't like the way some record companies and distributors and publishers are cashing in on it. And you know what they're doing, man? They're mastering – can you fucking believe this? They're mastering the CD version to vinyl. Do you understand what I'm saying? Oh, so I don't that, have makes original... me, yeah, no, that makes my skin crawl. Yep. <laughs> I bought a couple. I'll tell you after we finish a conversation which ones they were, man, but – I. You know, these are big companies, is what I'm saying, man. And and I listened. To, I basically junked them as soon as I got home. I thought, you fucking bastards, for doing this. Yeah, that's this. awful. And and it was horrible, man. It was like listening to. It was. I actually thought something was wrong with the speaker. I thought I've got these great clarity, um, monster clarity HD speakers I bought about nine years ago. So they're still really good, right? And yeah, and I got the you know the Denon turntable. Uh, a couple hundred bucks. I couldn't tell you the model, but it's not bad. You know, it's sort of the it gets the job done kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. it's like worst of the best ones, if you know what I'm saying. Worst of the good oh, okay, ones, yep, if you know yep, what I'm yep. saying. So I didn't go and buy like a shitty thing online. I actually went to Harvey Norman and tried out a couple. And went, yeah, that'll do. That's five hundred bucks down the wherever, but still, still listening to it. But yeah, man, it, I thought there's something wrong with wrong with the setup, and I thought, man, I've paid all this money. It sounds like shit. And then I put in a few other of my my jazz records, uh, John Coltrane and Miles Davis albums, and yep. no, they were perfect. Classical albums are perfect, and then I then I started doing some deep diving on the work work were, and that's what it came back was going on. Yeah, exactly. I think the only band I think in recent times who've kind of come close to being able to do it was North Lane with the Node album, and that's because they specifically mixed and mastered everything to be done for vinyl. And credit to them, they did give it like a red hot crack. But again, they missed the point that they recorded everything through digital. And so even though it was mixed and mastered for vinyl capabilities, it still came out sounding pretty flat and pretty kind of eh. Mm. Um, still credit to them, though. Like, um, 
like I, I, I got to give it to them. I got to give them credit where it's due. Like that's an ambitious task to go for because they probably knew that printing it to digital, it would sound like shit. Mm-hmm. Um, I've, I've only heard from people that it doesn't sound that much better when it comes to vinyl, but you know, like, mm. it I, is I, what it is. Yeah. Mo- yeah. Modern stuff that, to your point, if you're talking about it from a sonic perspective, absolutely. If anybody has any doubts, there's, I mean, you, you're, you're, you're schooled in this, you're educated, mate. So if it's, your informed opinion and my uninformed opinion that there's literally no point in listening to digitally recorded formats over vinyl, mate. I just I wouldn't be no. buying vinyl for the purposes of listening to it. That's for sure. It's just, I mean, you know, I have mates over and have a couple of beers, and I bring out my record collections. We do I've got a Crossley crate, you know, those Crossley crates that you can put your vinyls oh, yep, into. Yep, yep, yep. You know, they're just they're basically they're bloody expensive, man, but they're they just look good. That's all. And bring it out, and we're sort of rifling through it, and I've got some Led Zeppelin. You know the uh, the box thing. I can't. Is it the song remains the same box set that they did about ten years ago? I think I can't remember. Anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They did a box set of all their albums, didn't they? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I've, I've got. Say, yeah. yeah, I've got that, and um, I've got a few other things, so a few older things, and we put them on. Man, it sounds great, but yeah, it's it's just something that you're looking at the artwork to see if you can discover things that people haven't. Um, you know, with some Beatles artwork and some Queen albums and all this sort of stuff, but mate, there's, there's not really anything there that people haven't discovered. <laughs> You're just having a few beers and just try to have a good night with your buddies, you know, with, with that sort of stuff. But yeah, I, I used to collect Iron Maiden um, figurines. This is before oh, they. True. This is before they became popular again. If you know what I'm saying, I know they've had this resurgence yeah. since about 2003 or whenever it is. But this is in the 90s and very early 2000s when nobody really gave a shit. And <laughs> and I, honestly, my my own feelings about it were as I just felt like I was. And with all due respect to the band, I say this because it's not that, but I thought it was junk. And I, after a while, I started looking at all these Aussie. Ozzy Osbourne figurines and stuff. I thought, what the hell am I doing here? And I literally gave it away. It'd probably be worth a fortune now if I'd held on to it. Oh, yeah, it would be worth quite a bit. Yeah, I yeah. imagine it would be to some diehard fan who'd absolutely love to own that kind of thing. But, yeah, yeah, I mean, that's, again, like, that's what it is. It's a novelty thing, like, whether how good or how bad it might seem, like, in the eyes of somebody else, like, fans who absolutely love that band will pick up anything. Um like, we've even had people make weed grinders for us, which I think is pretty <laughs> fucking sick. Um, nice. But, like, it's it's that kind of thing. Like, you know, and bands do actually sell weed grinders. I think Traders from Florida, they sold weed grinders and everything. And, you know, like, I'm like, I'm like, wow, that's fucking dumb. We'd never absolutely do that. But at the same time, they sold so fucking quickly. Like, they sold yeah. out within, like, an hour or something like that. And I'm sitting there like, man, a lot of people must smoke a lot of weed if they want to buy a Traders <laughs> fucking grinder. Like... But again, like it's a complete novelty thing, like, and it, it's it's what suits the band as well. Like Iron Maiden, um, with all their covers and um, all their super not theatrical, but all their super animated and comic booky covers, I see them making figurines. You know, like mm. if I really wanted to, and if I had the money for it, I'd see us making figurines of all the characters from our story that we have in Flesh and Bones and Fear Me and all that. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't because that's not how I want to do things. But you know, um. Like, I, I definitely see the novelty there for especially, like, Iron Maiden fans and all that. Um, so it makes sense to me that mm-hmm. they do it. And I'm not surprised that, you know, they would mean a lot to somebody if you sold them or if you had sold them, like, at the time. Like, you'd probably get quite a lot for it if there's especially, like, an, a diehard fan out there who wants it. But, yeah. Yeah. Well, they, but they do, man. They buy this shit in the truckload. They make – I think Kiss are making a fortune off dolls uh, and, and – Figurines, and I notice even Scott Ian from Anthrax, bloody Anthrax, has his own doll. 
or figurine, Fucking whatever it might hell. be called. I was like, holy, it's getting a little bit mad. But I think you've got to have like a, a, a you've got to sort of twist the plot a little bit with that sort of stuff. And I like what the guys in Aborted do. I had a chat to Sven from the band a while ago, but he was telling me about they do blankets and popcorn, like cups That's sick. and, That's and sick. boxer shorts or something. Oh, just heaps of shit, right? And I'm listening to him thinking the band's called Aborted, right? And it's a grind death metal band, as you'd expect from <laughs> Yeah, Belgium. I know Aborted, yeah. Yeah, well, you know the band, sorry. Yeah, I'm so used to having to explain to some people who these bands are, but if, yeah, it's it's um, I, I like the way they were giving people something to get into, but it was cool shit. It wasn't just a figurine and yeah exactly and it was and that that suits their image as well i guess to a certain degree maybe not the blanket thing but the popcorn thing i can definitely see like it's it's so it's so like out of place for what their image is to a certain degree but at the same time i can also see death metal bands like that doing that kind of thing because it kind of implements a more fun element and that's like i love i love it when bands do that kind of thing Hmm. um i wanted to do a merch item for this release that unfortunately didn't happen um, because it would have cost way too much money um, to do and all that, but I'd what like to do it? it in the future. I wanted to do custom gloom body bags. I oh, think sweet. that like, yeah. yeah. So like as, as much as like it, you hear it and you go, wow, that's whack. But you look at it and no, I think it's you great. look at our image and everything and you go, yep, that'd be fucking sick for them to do because it's not like people are going to be going around sleeping in the fucking body bag. They collect it as a novelty item and like whether they put it up on their wall or they never even unbox the thing and they sell it on like hmm. five years down the track, it's still something that I feel like would sell because on top of that, no other band has ever done that. No no other band has ever sold body bags as far as I'm aware. Um, no, you should trust your instincts. It just costs so much money. But you should yeah. trust your instincts, man. You a lot of the things that you've, the things that you've spoken about from a from a, if I was a publicist, they're the sort of things that I'd wanting you to be doing, okay? Yeah. And, and you're talking about body bags and stuff. That shit's cool, man. That stuff is it's exactly what we're talking about. It's a way for fans to participate in the in the the experience that the band is offering. The the gloom in the corner experience, but it's got a twist on the plot. It's just something a little bit different, and that's you know, yeah. So you, you, you t- your bread and butter. You got to have your bread and butter, which are your t-shirts and your clothing merch. Absolutely of understand course, that. Course. But then I think the bands that are really nailing it, like uh, Municipal Waste, had some really cool socks on their website the other day or on their Facebook feed the other day. <laughs> I'd love to do socks. <laughs> it, it'd be cool, wouldn't it? And undies and just everyday items. I mean, undies, think about that for a moment. How you know? Um, yeah, that's whack. I mean, yeah, undies. I mean, fuck, man, you guys could probably sell a truckload of that sort of stuff because it's it's a little bit different. When I go to gigs, these I tend to go to gigs as a, a uh, reviewer. So the, oh, yeah. way I, the way I look at it like this is I'm not paying for my ticket. Okay, so I'm going to go on there and support the band or the artist, whoever it is, by buying a piece of merch. And what I usually come back, man, is these flags. Yeah, actually, flags would be a sick one to do as well. Yeah. As I say, sitting in front of my sworn-in flag draped over my wall. Um, yeah, I'd, yeah, I'd love to do flags as well. We, we do have flags, actually, but they're just um, guitar amp and bass cab flags oh um, gotcha yeah, yeah yeah like you had it for when villain dropped and everything i imagine matt and martin will probably uh sling them online somewhere or maybe keep them um but yeah i'd, I'd absolutely love to do flags flags mm. would be sick mm. mate when are you going to come up here or have you got plans to do some touring we do we do um i can't say too much yet um because it hasn't been announced but we do we are planning to come back up in july 
Um, and I think we'll be coming back up later this year as well. Okay, sweet. Yeah, and I'll, I'll look out for the shows. There's no doubt about that. I'd love to go along and uh, catch the experience because I bet you guys rip everybody a brand new one in your live show. Well, that's what we've been told over the last couple of shows. We just did like a whole um, heap of training, like live performance training and everything like that with a man called Steve Canatelli. Um, so to anybody listening, hit up Steve if you want to absolutely perfect your live performance and all that stuff. Um, but yeah, he's, he's awesome to work with. Like he broke us down to a certain extent and built us back up. Um, he honed in on what we were about live and what we wanted to accentuate and all that jazz. Um, and from going from performing end of last year when we did our villain release show to the shows that we've just done in Melbourne, Adelaide and Ballarat, people are completely blown away, or at least that's the feedback that we've gotten. So, um, we like to think that we've upped our live performance just a little bit, but mm-hmm. yeah. Mate, you've got to look, you really, you're a smart fella, Mike. You've got to hand it to you. I mean, this is, it's really interesting having this conversation. I mean, a lot of bands would sneer at the fact that, like, oh, it's choreography or what have you. Bullshit. You're putting on a show. It's yeah, an exactly. intense live performance. And, man, if you've got paying customers coming through that door and, or even if you don't, if you've got people that can have the potential to become fans, you better give them every reason to become engaged, and you're doing that. Exactly, now. and that's, yeah. that's that's what Steve told us, and that's what I very much so agreed with was the fact that it's like we're, we're putting on a show for people. We want to be able to engage – not sorry, not engage with people, but we want to make – want to give people their money's worth pretty yeah, much. Yeah, form an impression. Uh, I mean, it's it's hard to stand out from exactly. the pack these days, man, because, uh, you know, it's not just – you're not just relying on the sound aspect. You've got the visual aspect, and I, I, I never could stand that with bands to sort of – I know that's some bands' shtick, like Jay Maskus and Dinosaur Jr. I get that that's his shtick to stand there and not just look at the ground and look around occasionally on Tool. You know, they just sort of stand oh, there yeah. sticks doing it, and I get that's what they do, but – I don't want to watch that. I won't go to a tool gig. I know what I'm getting there, and I won't go to that. And I appreciate a million other people would, but but I, yeah, I mean, I've, your videos, everything, the, the choreography and the videos is on point. I love what you guys are doing there. I uh, mate, I just, I really hope it happens for you. I truly do. You know, and I think, oh, thank you, you. I think if there is an Australian heavy metal act at the moment that has the potential to really break through in the states and do something meaningful. And not just sort of have the one tour with all. I mean, God, I never even got to this point, so I'm not criticizing, but not just do the one tour and then retreat back here having broken even. I think you guys could probably do it, man, on the strength of A, your attitude, B, you've actually got the brains to do this, okay? Um, you know, it sounds like you've got a really, uh, a, a, you know, a benevolent dictatorship, I call it. I think which you, <laughs> need, which you need to have happen in a band. Uh, if you don't have that, then you really open yourself up to there being divisions. Yeah. Um, and I think I think you've got a lot of the bases covered, man. Now I'm just a guy who loves talking about music. I don't claim to have managed bands in the past or acted as a publicist or so, man. But I've been around it a long time, man, and I'm seeing a lot to like about what you guys are doing. And I think you'll appeal to far more than just the the metalcore and the deathcore set. I actually think you could pick up a few of those stray Judas Priest and Iron Maiden fans. You know that. Yeah, true. Well, thank you. Thank you. I mean, that's what we aim to do. We hope to get over to the US at some point. So, because I feel like that's where a lot of our market is. I think we've kind of realized that over the past few weeks, um, especially like working with Steve as well. He was very much like, yeah, your market is a lot Definitely. more, yeah, a lot yeah. more American. So, yeah. we hope to get over there at some point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mate, for people listening who want to uh, get into you and find your music, you've obviously got your Facebook page, but uh, tell them about your Facebook page and what they can do when they get there. But where else can they listen to your music? 
Uh, you can listen to our music on Spotify and iTunes and Bandcamp. And I feel like I, I think some stuff is up on Google Play as well. Um, we've got an Instagram. We've got a Twitter, um, which is I think the Instagram is the gloom in the corner with a V instead of an E in corner. I don't know why. It just was that oh, when right. we first started as a band. Um, and then our Twitter is TGITC band. Um, just chuck that in the search bar and it should come up. Mm. Um, what you can do once you get there, we have merch. Um, I think you can access, uh, survivors, guilt and villain pretty easily, uh, through the Facebook page. It should be kind of near the top as like a pin post or something like that. Um, but yeah, I think that, it's all <laughs> that there. covers everything. Yeah, it covers it's all, all there. The bases, it's pretty easy to get to. Yeah. yeah, yeah, mate. That'll do it. That was awesome. Really cool, man. I appreciate you. You making the time to have a conversation. As I said at the beginning, man. I knew it was going to be a good conversation because of the. You've been listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast series that syndicates for the A List Online. My name's Andrew Mackay Smith, and that interview subject was Mikey Arthur from the Melbourne outfit, The Gloom in the Corner. Thank you so much for listening.